Welcome back, Intimates. Thanks for your support on Patreon, making this 2021 season possible. This podcast is about all things intimate, relationships, love, connection, community, consensual non-monogamy, kink, orgies, lovers, and of course, good old-fashioned sex. I talk with old friends and even meet some new ones. I interview people from all walks of life, from recovered addicts to counselors, sex partners to perfect strangers. I'd like to thank my hosts, the Musqueam First Nation, as this podcast is recorded on their unceded ancestral territory, where I was born, where I work, and where I currently live and play. So settle in for an intimate conversation. Representations of people of color in the world of sex? Why is that important that people of color be in that space? What are some of the barriers to more people of color being in that space? And what has our experience as POCs being in that space been? Today I interview Ricardo. He's garnered a reputation for making unique, multi-layered, provocative work in film and photography. He grew up in Toronto and attended both the Nova Scotia College of Art and Design and the University of Waterloo. He started his career as a fashion photographer and then later as a fine art nude photographer. He has had 12 gallery showings of his work and his first book of photographs, a collaboration with noted Canadian poet George Eliot Clark, was published in November of 2005. His second book, The Goddess Project, I've seen some of this, it's, it's quite good, was completed in 2010. You can find it online if you want at sexgoddessproject.com. I encourage you to check it out. Never idle for long, he moved on and was working on his second book and then, or sorry, his third book rather, and then his fourth book, um, he was finishing that in 2012, which was The Goddess Project Book 2, and then his fifth book was The Goddess Project Book 3. He started his tenth book, The Intimacy Project, in 2020, um, but his first feature film, I'm just going to read you his bio here, um, titled When was an irrepressibly brutal and comedic portrayal of a dysfunctional struggling actress in New York. His second feature film, titled Watershed, was the first independent feature film in North America to be shot in digital high definition, breaking ground with its technical and narrative accomplishments. His third feature film, Finder of Lost Children, set in the Caribbean in a Caribbean community in Canada, is a poignantly moving and humorous story of two half-sisters that meet for the first time at the funeral of the father neither one of them knew. So, he does a lot of work. He's a really cool guy. I do a session with him and talk a lot about the importance of representation of BIPOC folks in spaces that are supposed to be sex on premises or sex positive and various barriers that we sort of experience, especially black folks um, and indigenous folks in these spaces. So... I won't say enjoy. And now that we are done the bio, let's get started with Ricardo here on Intimate Interactions. Welcome everyone to another episode of Intimate Interactions. I'm here with Ricardo Scipio. Um, so, and you're recently working on the Intimacy Project, which is why you are on this podcast. Well, one of many reasons. Yes, yes, yes. One of many reasons. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's wonderful to have you, Ricardo. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. So we were going to talk today about representations of people of color in just the general world of sex um, and what all the various connotations of what that could mean. Um, do you want to start us off by giving us an intro as to why you came up with this topic as something you wanted to talk about on the show? Sure. I mean, it goes back to my earliest sort of roots as a photographer. Growing up, um, you know, I grew up in 
in a black family and in a community that had a lot of black people in it. And you would walk down the street and you'd see this amazingly beautiful, you know, black people. Mm-hmm. And there was, you know, this beauty all around. However, you know, when you looked at the black people, they often had their heads down. Uh, you know, they, you could definitely see the signs of, you know, a lack of self-esteem and, uh, and, I quickly realized that one of the problems is we all grew up bombarded by images of people that look nothing like us. And mm-hmm. often the things that were identified with us, like having, you know, a bigger nose or thicker lips or mm-hmm. a different kind of body, those things were ridiculed and, you know, made to be, you know, the epitome, epitome of sort of ugliness or, or non-desirability. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I remember, <laughs> as ridiculous as this sounds, I remember my sister and I, when we were little kids, we would we would put towels on our heads to pretend that we had long straight hair, <laughs> and we'd you know parade around, sort of uh, you know acting out some sort of Barbie fantasy or something. And, wow! <laughs> no, for real. And uh, and you know, even when I was a teenager, I, I remember when I was sixteen, I. My, I got my scalp very badly burnt because I went and got a jerry curl as soon as like jerry curls came out because I wanted to look sort of different than what my natural hair looked like. And mm-hmm. um, my mother, you know, was always going through the hair straightening and, you know, that kind of thing, too. And um, so, yeah, I, I think that um, there's always been issues about whether or not we see ourselves as beautiful, whether or not other people mm-hmm. see us see us as beautiful, whether we mm-hmm. see whether we see ourselves as worthy, and um, that kind of what got me started. The very first thing, really, that I did as a as a fine art photographer, is I did a series of of nudes of black men and women in color and in natural landscapes. And I call that project Uzuri, which is the Swahili word for beauty. And, mm. and, uh, it was, you know, it was really, you know, it was really great for me. And what the best part of it was when I showed the work because I, you know, normal galleries were not interested in showing that show at all. So I showed in, in, in black spaces in sort of community centers and places like that. And in little small black galleries, and when I when people would come to the to the show, often people would cry, and they'd come back the next day and you know bring their kids, and sometimes come back the next day and bring their ga- grandkids, because they <laughs> they had just never seen you know photos of themselves like that, and uh, yeah, so it's a great experience to to show that work to people. It sounds like it's a joy. It is a joy, and it's it's a, it's a shame because not only the sort of leaving us out of the of the conversation um, mm-hmm. out there in in the media, it didn't just hurt us; it hurt everybody because mm-hmm. because diversity is 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 where the real power is. Um, even in in the world of science, we all know, like in genetics, the less mm-hmm. the less diversity you have in a gene pool, the more trouble you're in. definitely and we know like in agriculture you know what's the biggest problem in agriculture monoculture 
<laughs> and we, you know, and in the world of images, we've had monoculture for so long. And uh, I'm happy to see that some inroads are being made for, you know, more representation. But definitely, there's still so so far to go. Yeah, I mean, as a as a mixed race individual myself, I definitely am like heterozygote advantage. Um, and I very much celebrate that idea of uh, not just having diversity of groups of people, but also having diversity um, in the relationships we see just of people, um, you know, mixing genes, because that is actually a really important part of health and populations, too. Totally, totally. Um, let's talk a little bit more about sex culture. Are you are you involved at all in any of the orgy scene or any of the like swinger scenes? <laughs> Um, uh, not really. I'm sort of, I'm sort of adjacent. Um, got it. I have, you know, I have gone to sex, some sex parties, but of course mm -hmm. the nerd I am, uh, I mostly mm -hmm. went, I mostly went to meet potential people to photograph. Um, of course. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've had some exposure to those scenes for sure, but also as a single um, heterosexual cis male um, mm -hmm. that's not always the easiest entree <laughs> into, sure. those, into those worlds so if I mm -hmm. if I was part of a if I was part of a couple I'm sure that I would have had um, greater exposure and greater opportunity um, sure but yeah I, I definitely have had some exposure to those to those communities for sure and definitely um, uh, many of the people I photographed are, are from those communities Mm hmm. So what, how would you describe the barriers um, for people who are white listening to this? Um, what would some of the barriers be to people of color like yourself and like those you photograph being in this sex positive space? There are a lot of barriers and a lot of them are, are you know, are psychological. Um, for, mm -hmm. One is that um, you don't have a lot of role models. So, uh, right. I mean, if you think about it, for example, let's just take porn, for example. There have been generations and generations of, you know, major white porn stars and, you know, mm -hmm. all that stuff. There hasn't been, a you know, a correlation, you know, for for people of color. Um, right. And so part of it is just, you know, getting over the barrier of, of believing that you belong, Um Right. The believing, you know, that that you're worthy of of being in, in that space. And it's 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 more of a barrier than than one might think. Um, when I photograph people, often they write later on about their experience doing the shoot. And often, you know, they would say things like, I never thought, you know, someone would want me, you know, for this kind of project. I've they would say I've seen your postings for years, uh, you know, asking for people to photograph, but I didn't think you, you wanted me. I thought you would want the, mm -hmm. the stereotypical, whatever, you know, 20 something, sure. 20, 20 something thin, you know, a white person. Um, right. So yeah, I mean, they were surprised and, and, you know, and glad that I was interested in, in them and very interested in them. So one is just the, the imagination barrier. Can you imagine yourself um, in, the, in a space? And then there are sort of logistical um, barriers. We have so little ownership in the space. 
Um, we don't we don't own the websites. We don't own the clubs. Mm -hmm. We don't own the publications. We don't own the events. I mean, I can't think of a kink or sex event in Canada, you know, run by people of color. Um, all the major mm -hmm. ones I know are mostly <laughs> mostly run by by white women, uh, especially the ones here in Vancouver. I, maybe I mean you are more in the community than I am. Do you know? Any any major events in Canada? Not not in not in Vancouver and not in Canada. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, I I think things are a bit better in the states. Um, there's yeah. There's a lot more people of color in the states than in Canada. Um, well, depending on how you measure people of color, but yes, there are definitely more black folks. Sure, um, and and Latinos. I mean, Latinos are the, the big. Oh, that's yes, that's fair. My bad. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, um, and I have like a, when I, in California, I went to um, uh, a black sex party, and um, there's a group uh, of black nudists that um, that I'm a part of on Facebook, and they, they've got lots of people um, in their group. So I think there's a bit more opportunity in the states. But I think there's nowhere in the world where, you know, we have a large part of the logistical pie of of, of being the ones who run things um, mm -hmm. in, you know, so I think that's an issue, too, is, is ownership. Um, and that's what's true in Hollywood and the music industry and so many other things until we become the producers and the owners and the ones that are, you know, that are the gatekeepers, um, mm -hmm. we are dependent on the largesse of the white community to let us in. And, right. and sometimes they will let us in, but sometimes that's tokenism. <laughs> sometimes that's not necessarily a genuine, um, right. You know, you know, attempt to, to create, you know, true diversity. Um, and even when it's not intentionally tokenism, it's it's hard to wonder sometimes. You're like, did they, you know, even when it's not, even when they aren't selecting you because you're not white, um, it's difficult to be in that space and wonder, like, did they select me just because I'm not white because I'm the only not white person here? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's, you know, that's another barrier. Another barrier, I think, is is sort of cultural elitism. Um I know from my own experiences that sort of black and indigenous and mm -hmm. other and you know other people of colors sort of um, cultural approach to sexuality isn't uh, respected or often isn't even heard um, in the white dominated spaces. It's almost like um, there's always expected that that we will be the ones assimilating. And so, right. You know, it's code almost, switching. yeah, we have to code switch and, and our presence is acceptable as long as we play by rules and by norms that have nothing to do with us. And we had no voice in creating in the first place. And I found, um, when I would, you know, try and, you know, talk about, other ways of looking at things and other ways of doing things that are not from a European uh, perspective. Um, you know, you would get pushback or just disinterest, or even if people were interested, sometimes they weren't willing to do the work that, right. that they would have to do to, 
you know, to sort of, you know, learn a different way of, you know, of, of, of conducting business. So that's another, you know, kind of barrier is knowing that the worldview that you might, you know, inhabit isn't reflected or isn't necessarily even welcome um, in, in the dominant space. So that's sometimes a potential um, uh, obstacle as well. Mm-hmm. And then, <laughs> if, there, if that wasn't enough, uh, you know, obstacles, um, sure. I, you know, I, a lot of people of color come mm-hmm. come from cultures, especially if they're recent immigrants, um, mm-hmm. that are more conservative <laughs> than the sort of uh, predominant uh, white culture, and sometimes if you are brave enough to step into the, the world of sex or the world of kink, um, mm-hmm. you're not going to have the support from your family. You're not going to have sure. the support from, you know, a lot of people from your culture. So you're isolated. So, uh, more than ever, you know, you need support from white allies and white people of conscience. Um, you would need them to recognize the sort of big leap that you're taking. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I recently, um, you know, had interactions, for example, with, you know, with a, with a woman from a very conservative Muslim background and, sure. and she was very bravely stepping into, you know, the sex space. And I, I was even fearful for her. <laughs> I was like, are you, are you sure you're up for all for this and all the things that it may mean? And, mm-hmm. and, and she was, um, but, uh, yeah, that's another, you know, that's another barrier is you may not, ex- may not be able to expect any support even from the people closest to you. Yeah. And there's, and there's some latitude there for folks from rural areas, um, who may be white. There tends to be a lot of conservatism, yeah. um, in British Columbia anyways, that I've noticed. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Um, some of the white people I photographed, for example, have been Mormons and interesting. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> for some reason I have a fair bit of, a fair number of Mormons in, <laughs> in my, uh, in my, uh, in my project. Um, yeah. Um, that's cool. I've even have people that were formerly in like plural marriages. Oh, wow. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you're, you're quite right. Um, if you are from a, a rural or, or just a, a religiously conservative background, sure. um, and you're white, you, you would, you would be in a similar, you know, situation for sure. Sure. And, and well teased apart that rural doesn't necessarily mean conservative religious and vice versa. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm just thinking of Interior BC. Um, in Kelowna, they have anti-abortion protests every single week in front of the hospital. Like, that's how quickly you go from Vancouver, uh, you know, where there's, like, some of the regions downtown are said to be, like, the safest neighborhoods in the world for, you know, women to walk down because there just aren't very many straight men anywhere near that region. Yeah, yeah. No, no doubt. Um, when I went last, you know, when I've been to Kelowna... Um, the things I noticed the most about Kelowna were mm-hmm. born again Christians and hell's mm-hmm. an- and hell's angels. That, yeah. that, that was what I mostly saw in, in, in Kelowna. So yeah. Um, 
yeah, and that's not too far away. But even even Chilliwack, which is even closer, um, sure. is not a bastion of that's true of 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 uh, liberalism. Liberalism for sure. <laughs> Progressive sex factors. <laughs> right. Yes. 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 Yeah. No, it's true. You really don't have to go far. No, you don't have to go far. You were talking about um, the states um, having more people of color earlier. And the first thing I thought of in terms of like owning um, like events and booking the venues was um, Marla Renee Stewart down in. Oh, this is going to bug me now. I know they I know she does sex down south. I want to say it's in Dallas, okay. but I would I would be guessing. <laughs> but there are um, but but there are conventions that are you know, organized and run by people. It's in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> there we go. There you go. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that makes, that does make more sense. So my bad. Um, <laughs> but I think one of the reasons why, like, I, I heard you say that and I was like, really? Like there's more people of color in the U S there definitely are by number, but where, where I live, white people make up a minority and like Vancouver is 2.2 million people, which is a small city, but for Canada, that's like medium sized. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, and it's true. Like in Canada, if you um, if you're in Montreal or or sure. Vancouver or Toronto or a few other you know a few other places. Um, no, I think you I think you hit all of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, definitely. You you know, in my old neighborhood in in Toronto, you could you could go a day sure. you could go a day without seeing a white person for sure. Sure. Um, um, but yeah, the reality for the rest of Canada is pretty pretty white yeah and i mean i was kind of tongue-in-cheek joking there when i said that you'd literally described all the cities with poc so i'm <laughs> sorry to all my poc friends who live in victoria and various other places where they're like hey count me too no victoria is a very white town um, it is a very white town but i know people of color in victoria who are like it is a very white town this is terrible and i'm like well you're doing the good work yeah yeah we have to have pioneers we have to have that's right we have to have pioneers everywhere <laughs> They are roughing it. They're roughing it. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> God, you know, God bless them. They're doing the. They're doing, yes. They're doing. They're doing good work. Absolutely, it's it's important for us to be visible, and this goes back to what you were saying originally. That uh, it's very important for us to be visible, and it's very hard for us to be in any position of, you know, as we were saying, organizers and running events and things like that. And in Vancouver, to answer your question, there are. There is only one kink party I have ever known that was thrown by people of color for people of color. And it was within MVK, within the queer swarm, there was a cutie pock only space within the queer swarm. Okay. And that was super cool. I've never felt more connected. And there's like no other way to put it for me. It was going into a space and being like, oh, like I can, I can just sit down. And like, no one is looking at me or judging me. This is just like a space where people were positive and happy. Like, that's something that I think, like, maybe a lot of white folks miss, or maybe it's just the folks that I talk to, but this joy that comes from communities of color where you're just with, you know, like a rich storied set of cultures and traditions, and you've got people that are just happy and like, they're glad to see you and they just... There's so much joy there that I really feel like is missing from the narrative. Oh, I, I, I completely agree with you. And it reminds me of my childhood. Um, growing up in Toronto was was really great that way because um, I used to love going to Kensington Market and you would just see people from all over the world and you'd hear 
all these different languages and you get exposed to all these different kinds of food and all these smells. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it was, it was, you know, it was really great. And, mm -hmm. uh, in, in a better world, <laughs> the, <laughs> the media would look like that in the, in the better world. Um, the photographs that we saw every day, the, you know, the, the films we saw every day, the TV shows we saw every day was more like that instead of, you know, what it is right now. Like here in Canada, for example, even just in the television space, um, I can't remember like the last Canadian show um, that was, you know, that had black people as the lead characters in the show. Um, maybe you could help. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can help me. Um, you know, I, I can't think of any. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to, and I honestly can't think of a single one. I can think of like black secondary characters, but yeah always the secondary characters, um, you know, and in, you know, even on Schitt's Creek, they had one Indo, mm -hmm. one Indo-Canadian uh, character and that was sort of represented the whole sum of diversity on that show. Um, right. <laughs> and, yeah. And I think the Indo-Canadian character, if memory serves me correctly, um, got in trouble for faking their accent badly. Um, but anyways. Um, oh, geez. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, um, yeah. Uh, I very much wish that we could just have actors portray characters from an authentic place when it comes down to stuff like that. Yes, 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 totally. It's, it's kind of like, the way I think of it is they're almost like strike breakers. It's like we're sitting in a place where we can't get images of people of color, you know, in those venues, right? Like in Hollywood and various other. I mean, obviously this is changing a little bit with, you know, people of color becoming more slightly ever so slightly more enfranchised. We're getting, you know, like stars like uh, Jordan Peele who, you know, with get out and us being able to create these amazing casts, like put them together and then actually have like incredible stories. And it's, it's, again, it just reminds me of that, that need to be so much better than you would need to be if there weren't this special asterisk next to your name that says you're a POC, you know? Yes, yes, yes. Yes. I, I quite agree. I hope, you know, I hope we live to see the better day. <laughs> let's, let's, <laughs> let's keep really good care. Of, let's take really good care of ourselves so we can be around to see this, this new tomorrow when it comes, it, it has to come. I mean, yes. it's inevitable. It's inevitable. We, you know, we cannot continue on the path that we're continuing on indefinitely. Um, Agreed. It, it doesn't make any sense and it's not sustainable. And it's not healthy. So it mm -hmm. will, it will happen. I just hope, you know, that I'm around to, uh, to see it and, and enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to think. What about your personal experience as a POC in sex culture? That's the one question I haven't asked you yet from our, <laughs> from our list. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you can, you can be as like open as you would like with how racist and bullshit things are. Uh, you know what? Try and stop me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, you know, it's, it's a mixed experience. Um, you know, um, when I first started dipping my toes into the world of sex and kink, 
I was told that, oh, you're a, you're a black man. You're going to be highly valued in the kink community. That's what everyone's interested in is black men. And you're going to be a BBC and everyone's going to want you and all this stuff. And I was like, that sounds kind of weird, but okay. Um, (laughs) And um, I found out that that's kind of true, but it's kind of really, um, really depressing because Mm -hmm. it's sort of like if you're willing to act out these sort of mandingo slave um, fantasies, um, then, yeah, you could be quite popular, (laughs) Um, especially if you're non-threatening and still, you know, uh, you know, are are fulfilling, you know, the fantasy requirements. Um, So on the one hand, yeah, you could get a lot of attention uh, being, you know, a black man um, or any kind of person of color that, you know, the number of people of color in those spaces is quite small. Um, Mm -hmm. but you have to deal with the fact that you're going to be fetishized, um, quite a bit. Um, I'll just give you an example. (laughs) I was, I was approached, um, by this, by this couple who wanted to have a threesome. Basically this, this man wanted to have a threesome with me and him and his wife. Um, so I was like, okay, what do you have in mind? And he said, Oh, I've I've got a script I can send you. <laughs> wow! And he sent me a script, a, a quite a detailed script, but just to sort of filter it down, um, he wanted basically to call me the N word and call me a bunch of racial slurs while sure. while I was basically degrading his wife. And degrading was the word he actually used. He said, "Wow!" He, he said basically, "I you know I." I, I want to. I want you. To, I want to see you degrade that white bitch. <laughs> and, wow! And he was, and he wrote things like, "I'm I'm going to say to you, um, you know, you know, give that white bitch your nigger cock." <laughs> and wow! I was, I was like, "Whoa!" Okay. So first of all, I was like, "No, thank you." Um, so after my initial feelings of sort of j- disgust, um, and what made me feel even worse is it was clear from what he had told me that there were, a, a, you know, a, a consider, considerable number of black men that went along with the script and allowed him right. to, to do this just, right. to, just to get access to a white woman who wasn't even particularly attractive. <laughs> so it wasn't like you were doing this to, uh, to get at, uh, I don't know, um, some highly prized, you know, beauty. It wasn't Scarlett. I mean, the, it, it, he, he wasn't sure. mar- he wasn't married to Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> he was married to sort of a plain-looking woman that, that didn't have anything particular to recommend, you know, about her. I mean, I think it's fair to say that that her looks were not to your liking and that beauty standards in general are kind of bullshit. Sure. Um but I'm just saying um, these. I, I understand. Yeah, these black men were willing to debase themselves um, for, you know, <laughs> for reasons I I don't really get. Um, so it, yeah. it bothered me because he felt empowered to promote this script because other people had had, had obviously right. gone along with it and not strenuously objected to it. 
Um, so that's, you know, you know, that's one kind of experience, you know, that I've had. But another kind of experience, I, I definitely have met people who, you know, were allies and who, um, you know, had a had a love for people of color and, okay. you know, spent time in, you know, countries other than Canada and spent time in cultures other than this culture and um, and were happy um, that more people of color were getting into the to the space and were very, mm-hmm. su- very supportive that, you know, would, you know, come to my events and buy my books and and that kind of thing. Um, so definitely I've had the opposite experience that, you know, thank good, mm-hmm. thank goodness. But um, but definitely sort of the the black man as a piece of meat without a mind and without right. without perhaps even a soul um, is definitely a, a theme um, in that space. Um, and frankly, I put a, a fair amount of the blame on other black men uh, for for allowing this and volunteering for it. Um, of course, um, some blame needs to go to the <laughs> people that are, you know, yeah. that have thought up these fantasies and thought of, thought of these, I don't know what you want to call them roles. Um, sure. Yeah. So that's, I mean, it's, yeah, I understand completely where that anger comes from and where that frustration comes from. And to me, participating in highly racist race play feels incomprehensible as well or possibly differently as well but still as well like it's incomprehensible to me yeah um but i i also try my best not to begrudge people if maybe i don't understand their experience and truthfully i don't understand their experience i'm like i i don't get it i don't think it's i think it's not a good thing to do but at the same time i'm like ah yes consenting adults can be consenting adults and practice that on their own time but like they should i think it's racist and they should know i think it's racist but <laughs> i mean i don't you know I'll, other than that like why would they care what i think so like i don't know i'm just one of those kinksters that's like if they're consenting adults but like it's super racist and shitty that anyone would go out and solicit and like lead with that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like that's absurd and you're an, and you're a nicer human being than I am, <laughs> and, I, and I think we've always known that. And I, I'm okay, and I'm okay with that, you know. Um, sure. You know, for every Martin Luther King, there has to be a Malcolm X, right? <laughs> I'm flattered that you would cast me in the role of King. Oh yeah, you you are a King. You are a uh, king. you are a king. You are a king. It's such such a kind and sweet thing to say. I definitely don't <laughs> think I qualify for that role, but I will take the compliment and just say thank you. Well, that proves that you're qualified because only someone as humble as you to <laughs> not feel you were qualified would be qualified. Someone who said someone who said, "Oh yeah, I'm totally king," is not king. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> so congratulations, king. Um, oh geez well i I think the the hardest part for me is like i'm a poc but i'm one of the like you know viewed by white folks as the good poc i'm the upstanding light-skinned poc that can code switch and that will do emotional labor for them and like so i kind of have it easy in that regard like don't get me wrong i grew up with white supremacists that were complete trash mm -hmm. but when it comes to the meta right now, like the interactions in society right now Mm -hmm. i can i mean hell i work at an all-white 
at least an all-white appearing company. And that's, that's not something every person of color can't do. Um, there's a reason that it's an all-white appearing company. I don't know what that reason is. I'm not saying it's necessarily racism, but I'm not not saying that. <laughs> right. Yes, we hear I you. also still work there. I don't <laughs> want to get fired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be careful. <laughs> I, I'm trying, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but I'm, I'm curious about your experiences. Um, sure. Tell me, I mean, um, what, have, what have been the best and worst aspects of being a person of color in the, in the kink and sex space for you? You know, my first memory of fetish fetishization, maybe this speaks to why I'm possibly a kinder human sometimes, was I had gone from growing up, you know, when I got bullied by white supremacists, they would say things like they'd call me a shit smear and I'd get like a lot of that. Um, believe it or not, I've had an N-bomb dropped on me and a C-bomb and I don't mean cunt. Um, <laughs> so like, I've, I've gotten some weird racism where I'm just like, you're, you're not even close. Like, <laughs> what, what are you even doing? Yeah. Um, like you realize that's not an insult. Like you can't just hurl that at people and expect them to be offended that you, like, it's just nuts to me. Um, so nuts, but, um, was I had gone from this characterization of my skin color, which is again, like I said, I'm not that dark of a human being, but like. I had gone from this characterization of like this light brown and this light, you know, this like golden brown kind of color that was kind of like a little softer and just like not as not as dark as as some of my very pretty friends. Um, but growing up, there were very few people of color around me. I grew up in a very white area. It was a fairly rural white area in Ladner. And um, the first time I had a partner um, and we were talking about this sort of stuff. She was like, your skin's beautiful. Like it's caramel to me. And I was like, wow, that's like a really positive reframe, but it's context, right? This is a person I love and that I know and that I trust mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, here she is saying like, here are all the positive things you can associate your skin color with instead. Like for me, that isn't fetish fetishization at all. That's just like you know, helping me with the reframe. Whereas if a perfect stranger had said that, I would have been like, all right, take a hike. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Context is everything. Context is everything. And I think some folks don't understand just how, how perilous that context is. Like, I don't think, I don't think it really lands for a lot of white folks, how traumatic racism is and how even people who haven't been through, you know, getting absolutely shit kicked, like, I mean, I got beaten up when I was younger in school, but I didn't get shit kicked, you know, like I've had friends who have been shit kicked and can't remember stuff, you know, because racists beat them up when they were, you know, living in whichever city. Um, and really only one friend that got properly. But the point I'm making is it's traumatic, even if it isn't a big trauma. It's a lot of little T traumas, you know? Yes, yes. And then you, you end up in this space where when someone says something that could be racist all your hackles go up and you're super uncomfortable and there's nothing that kills arousal faster than that for me. No, I hear you. Um, what, what have been, what if I'm glad you had the positive mm -hmm. experience with your, with your partner. What ha, have you had any especially jarring experiences with sex parties or just, you know, in the fetish community or just in the, in the sure. world of sex, have you had any jarring experiences? Definitely. Um, in the sex community, specifically in the kink community in and around, people will say all kinds of weird stuff. And you're just like, what, what, <laughs> what? 
Um, sometimes you'll get like the more characteristic ones that you'd get anywhere, like a, where are you from? And then you're like, oh, I'm from Canada. No, where, where are you, where are you actually from? And you're like, I was born in Richmond, BC in Canada. (laughs) Well, where are your parents from? (laughs) And you know, it's like, just, just ask if I'm not white. Like, if that's what you really want to know, just, just like show your true colors and ask. Cause like, that's what you want to know. Right. Yes. Yes. Tell me more. I mean, I'm intrigued. Sorry. Um, Yeah. I just got lost down a rabbit hole of thinking about the experience. Um, well, it's kind of like, so the funny thing as a mixed race person, when you aren't, you know, obviously Indian or you aren't obviously any specific um, ethnicity is there are ways you can screw with people. One of my favorite ways as a mixed race person is to ask people to guess and then to just hang them out to dry when they don't get it and continually ask them to keep guessing until they're very, until they're as uncomfortable as I am. Oh, that's a great, that's a great tactic. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't used to do that, but, mm. um, sorry, I, I don't do that anymore. I did used to do that a long enough time ago when I was still really like raw about it. When people would ask me, like I would pursue them in the conversation, like, no, keep guessing. You, 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 you know, you're getting there. You've already guessed six things <laughs> and it, it, it's pretty obvious at a certain point that like, it's not a fun game. No mm. one's enjoying it. Right. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Am I ruining your evening? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. So, so Dr. King has a bit of an edge. Okay. Only, only that only really happened once where I like asked a person to keep guessing after five or six times and they just wanted me to tell them. And it started becoming really clear that I was like pissed off that they were like consistently asking like, Oh, this person's clearly not from here because they're not white. Therefore, you know, where are they from? And I'm like, let's have this, let's play this game. (laughs) Wow. Wow. But it's, it's that's like the regular shit. That's not even kink specific. Like that stuff has happened to me in many arenas. Yeah. I mean, it happens to me in tennis. <laughs> really? Oh, it happens to me all the time in tennis. Um, there's so much racism in tennis. So for example, I'll just give you an example. Um, yeah, it's now that you say it, it's not surprising. Now that I've heard you say that sentence, I'm like, yeah, that's not surprising at all. <laughs> Well, I'm surprised because here in Vancouver, it's mostly people of color that play tennis. So you would think there'd be less Mm -hmm. racism, but no. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm six foot three. Um, I'm actually the shortest adult male in my family. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, my father's six, eight and a half. And I actually have a half brother. (laughs) I I actually have a half brother who's seven foot two. But um, that's incredible. Yeah. But I was born two months premature. So I never grew to my full size. Um, Right. But anyway, so I'm tall. I'm not the tallest guy around, but I'm tall. Mm-hmm. And I'll notice something, for example. So in tennis, if if I'm hitting an overhead smash, so there's a ball high in the air and I'm jumping sure. up to smash it down, people act like I'm Idi Amin or something. They act like I'm a, a, <laughs> some genocidal <laughs> maniac. And they're like, wow. They're like, are you trying to kill someone? And whatever. And if the same size white guy does the same shot, no one says anything. And I I would say if the same size Asian guy did it, but I don't know any Asians that are are my height um, in tennis here in Vancouver. But but, we're definitely less common in that height. Yes. Um, But I'm just saying, um, and um, they'll, you know, they'll say like lots of, you know, you know, lots of inappropriate things, um, you know. Sure. Oh, we're going to call the police on you because you're, <laughs> you're really, yeah, because you're, you know, because you're hitting the ball so hard. And, uh, and people they, have joked about that with you. They joke about it. And, um, and, um, 
another favorite thing in the world of tennis here in Vancouver, most of the guys only wear like blue or white or gray. Um, sure. They dress terribly. I, <laughs> I on the other hand, uh, will wear pink or yellow or, sure. or orange or whatever, red, whatever. I, you know, sure. I, you know, and so I'm not dressed in those colors and they just never endingly will ridicule me about even my outfits. And I'm like, wow, I thought only women got, you know, unwanted attention for their outfits, <laughs> but I can't even, you know, I can't even anything feminine. Well, it's not even that it's anything nonconformist, right? Like, sure. Um, I mean, again, people of different cultures dress differently and, you know, yep. where I'm from, you know, someone wearing bright colors isn't a thing. Um, you know, someone wearing gray would be a thing. <laughs> so, but uh, to them, it's a thing. And, um, right. and uh, yeah, it's, and the, the casual racism that's talked about, like, uh, you know, just in normal conversation. Like there was one time I was playing tennis with three other people who were playing doubles and one was a doc, mm -hmm. one was a doctor and two were lawyers. And oh, that's disconcerting go on <laughs> it's typical for tennis and um and they said just out of the blue they said why should canada take any of these syrian refugees in when no muslim country will take them and i was like what? wow i was like are you aware that like turkey took like three million of them and mm -hmm. jordan which is one of the poorest countries in the world took a million <laughs> and it's crazy to me. Yeah. That's yeah. just so, so not grounded in reality. Yeah. And you're complaining because Canada took 25,000. I mean, you know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> but seriously. So, uh, yeah, I mean, so yeah, you're right. It, it's not just in the, the sphere of, of sex and kink and, and mm -hmm. it pervades sort of all over the place. However, um, you know, there are sort of, uh, teaching opportunities or opportunities, you know, for people to get their eyes open. And I always look for, you know, for those opportunities. So for example, um, lots of people don't pay much attention to what's going on in Africa. And, you know, when I have opportunities, I sometimes like to, you know, engage people and, you know, talk about things like that because they, you know, they think that, Africa is just some like basket case, you know, and that nothing positive happens there. And I'm like, you know, uh, some of the fastest growing economies in the world are in Africa, mm -hmm. are in Africa. And, uh, there's a lot of entrepreneurialism going on in Africa. Mm -hmm. I've, I've been working with a lot of African freelancers online, uh, people from mm -hmm. South Africa and Nigeria. And I'm very impressed you know, by, you know, their work ethic and their entrepreneurialism. Um, so, you know, there are opportunities to sort of, you know, inject other conversations. Mm -hmm. And I don't mind doing that. Like, I don't mind being the educator sometimes, especially if they're friends or people that I really care about. It's much harder again when they're people brand new. Um, and, and I agree completely with what you're saying about representation of Africa, even in media being like, Oh, look at this hut in the middle of nowhere. And you're sort of like, if do you miss all the skyscrapers and the airports and the like industrialization that's happened in a lot of major cities? Like, yes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's nuts to me. It's so detached again from reality. And getting back to the media, um, mm -hmm. there've been a number of TV series 
and and films that you know have been recently you know been about Africa and and they've been they've been great. Um, there was a BBC um, series called The Widow. Um, okay. There was um, uh, several other BBC series that were partially filmed or fully filmed in Africa. Um, there's been recently, you know, some great movies um, that have that have come out of Africa, and there's the whole sort of uh, Nollywood thing going on. Are you are you into that at all? I have not invested time just like learning about it. To uh, truthfully, I'm not even into Bollywood, and I feel like <laughs> I feel like that's like already treasonous. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, you know, there's a there's a sort of homegrown, you know, film industry in Nigeria now, and they're, you know, mm-hmm. some, some of the stuff is quite schlocky, but some of the stuff is quite interesting. So, um, again, we're we're inching towards a future where there will be more diversity, and um, and and we will, you know, all be better for it. Yes, I I couldn't agree more. I'm. Um... Sorry, I was going to share something, and then I realized it had more work information. I'm like, no, I can't share that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, be care- be careful. I am being careful. I am. Um, what what I will say is on the on the film front, while I haven't really been engaged much with Nollywood or Bollywood or um, various other foreign filmmakers necessarily, my partner has recently been really interested in film and cinema, like um, just just film and cinema coming out of the Philippines, um, because that's um, that's one of her backgrounds and one of her cultures of heritage so we've been watching some of these like lower budget filipino films that you know like you can tell like they they don't have anywhere near the budget of a lot of these american films and yet like you know the scripting's pretty decent and like even though like some of the cultural paradigms aren't immediately like um comprehensible like you're like wow people are really transphobic and really homosexual um and and really anti-homosexual and you're just like you're watching kind of a lot of this unfold and even though it is a fictional story in a lot of cases like it really transports you and i think that's what good art does is it makes those incomprehensible experiences very comprehensible and palpable and yeah it's been pretty incredible just watching even like lower budget stuff i'm like this is really good like i'm definitely like getting a good experience out of these yeah, that um, brings up something I wanted to talk about a little bit. Yeah. Um, is the role technology is is playing and will play in allowing people of color to hear their voices heard more. Mm-hmm. Um, in the film industry, uh, when I first started making films, it was very expensive to make a film. I mean, the the barrier to entry was was quite high. Uh, when right. I made my, when I made my first film in 97 uh it cost 780,000 American dollars and it was a low wow. budget film it was a low budget mm-hmm. film but it, but it was shot mm-hmm. in 30, 35 millimeter so um you know like $100,000 was just for film and processing <laughs> wow was, yeah however uh 2 years later when i made my second film in 1999 um we made the first sort of independent fictional feature film uh in digital high definition um, with, you know, with the original HD cam, uh, camera from Sony and cool. yeah. And we made, we made that film on $45,000 because <laughs> the whole film, the whole film on $45,000. Wow. 
and then, <laughs> you know, <laughs> skip, you know, skip later to um, to 2007 when I made my third film. Um, mm -hmm. I was able to, you know, make that film for twenty five thousand dollars. A feature, you that's, know, a feature. That's film. incredible. Yeah, and because the technology was so much cheaper, I was able, mm -hmm. you know, of that $25,000, $6,000 with that was me spending money on food for my, for my actors and crew. I was able right. to feed them well because I didn't have to spend all this money on equipment and, right. and that stuff. And, you know, my editor edited the film on his laptop um, because, right. you know, and that was technology, you know, that was technology 13 years um, right. ago. And fast forward, um, there was a film uh, about uh, two trans uh, women called uh, Tangerine that uh, was someone shot on his iPhone 5S. And that film went to the Sundance Film Festival and won many awards and was, was quite a good film. <laughs> That's really incredible. Oh, yeah. So now if someone has a story to tell um, and has the work ethic to to, to do what it takes to tell it. <laughs> yeah. No one can stop you. Literally no one, um, can stop you. And in the world of music, um, things are even moving much faster than, than in film and photography. And so, um, hip hop artists now are releasing tracks and releasing video content on NFTs. Have you, do you know much about NFTs? Have you been following that at all? Um, I've been following it a little bit. They're non-fungible tokens, and they're differentiable one from the other. So they're they're on they're based on blockchain technology where you can, um, well, without explaining how asymmetrical hashes work, we'll just <laughs> say that they're they're based on a blockchain, and each individual token is unique. So you can sell them, and they are unique and very hard to forge. Exactly. So, for example, Wu-Tang Clan uh, released a song um, that they only mm -hmm. released one copy, <laughs> one copy of um, the song. That's and, interesting. Yeah. Um, and someone paid two million dollars for it, I believe. I believe it was two million. Um, it was at least two million. Um, wow. But that's Wu-Tang. I mean, they're, the, uh, the, you know, a big act. But little, right. a little acts are now able to... Uh, release things um, through NFTs and through blockchain. And the great thing about it is, you know, that um, people, you know, the incentive isn't going to be as great to pirate that stuff. So if if you are into a particular rapper or a particular band or a particular musician of any kind and you want to support them, um, you know, they're, they're releasing NFTs. And... The NFTs are not just songs. They're sometimes video clips. But, um, you know, one band released an NFT that whoever bought the NFT um, got to go to any of their concerts for the rest of their life. That's cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so really, um, it's only limited to people's imagination. But the thing mm -hmm. about the thing about the, you know, the blockchain technology is it's very democratic um, any, yeah. you know, anyone can release an NFT. I'm, I'm going to start releasing, uh, some next month. And, um, and what marketplace are you using to do that? I'm using a, a new marketplace, um, called ghost market. Uh, okay. it, it's, uh, 
it was uh, created by a guy here in Vancouver um, named, named Vincent. Um, so, you know, supporting <laughs> local people. But it's, it's amazing. Um, it's based, based on the Phantasm um, blockchain, uh, which, been, okay. which has been around since, I think, at least 2018, maybe since 2017, which is a long time for, you know, for... Uh, for, for an altcoin, that's, that's pretty new. Yeah. Um, and... Um, or I suppose, I guess, for an altcoin, that's pretty old. It's pretty old. <laughs> and, uh, and unlike Bitcoin uh, or, um, or Ethereum... It's very, very inexpensive, so there's no right. there's no barrier for people to to jump on it. It's very democratic. Uh, there are no gatekeepers, and, um, and yeah, and it's it's just amazing. And not only can you mint these NFTs, but you can in your smart contract for the NFT you can decide what royalty you want. So even if people resell your stuff to other people, you um, can still be collecting money. Yeah. You still collect money, uh, which is it's pretty cool. Yeah, I think it's I think it's way cool. So uh, yeah, um, and that's just with what's going on currently. But I'm sure in five and ten years there'll be other technologies um, coming that will make it even easier for people of color to um, to get their voices heard and to show their faces and bodies. I mean, for me, I feel very strongly about it based on my sort of pagan beliefs. Because, mm-hmm. because I believe, you know, I believe in I believe in our ancestors, and each of us that are here today, we represent, I don't know, hundreds, thousands of generations of people that yeah. came, that came before us, and I think, you know, that bloodline, um, that cultural line, deserves to be represented. It doesn't deserve to be relegated to some little corner of, of obscurity we have so mm-hmm. so many stories to tell and we have mm-hmm. you know unique voices and unique faces and unique bodies and unique ways of, of doing things i mean look at all the contributions we've made to dance and music and you know and fashion and so many other things and that's with limited access imagine mm-hmm. imagine if uh, you know if it was a more level playing field what you know what we could contribute Absolutely. Well, that's a really hopeful message to end off on. <laughs> yeah, I'm an optimist. <laughs> I thank- well, thank you so much for joining me on Independent Interactions today. No, thank you for, for having me. And thank you for having this conversation with me. I really appreciate it. So how did you like it, Intimates? Discuss your ideas with the community at facebook.com slash intimatevictor. You can tweet me at IntimateVictor. You can follow me on Instagram at IntimateVictor. Pretty easy, right? If you can spare the cost of a cup of coffee to help the show keep going, head to patreon.com slash victorsalmon. We hugely appreciate your help to continue making intimate conversations for you and yours. If not, you can always help other intimacy nerds find the podcast by leaving us a good review anywhere online, especially iTunes. The opening music is on hold for you made of algorithmically generated notes and chords and played by an AI saxophonist this closing music is Gymnopédie number one by Eric Satie both are provided royalty free courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com thanks so much for your time and may your most important relationships be filled with intimate interactions be well